Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Grant McCann. It's my Gavin McCann. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Uh, yeah, no, very good, thanks. Really, really good. It's yeah, almost a weekend. It's almost a weekend full of football. So, yeah, got to be, got to be happy. Absolutely. If you want an insight into how interesting mine and Justin's conversations are away from the podcast listener, I'm going down to the Cotswolds this weekend, and Justin asked me if I could check out a service station there for him. <laughs> um, Justin, any explanation for that? It is the Gloucester Services. Um, now, I'm sure Bristol City supporters are probably more privy to that set of services, but it is just a goodie heaven. There are freshly baked goods everywhere, so you're missing out. And this this sort of sort of way of digging at me, it's not going to work, Ryan, because as I say, you're missing out. This services is the best place you'll ever go to. What makes it better than trowel services, for example, on the M1? Um, as I say, you've got freshly baked goods, like scotch eggs. Um, everything's freshly baked. When I say everything's fresh, freshly baked, everything is freshly baked. Has it not got a McDonald's, though? No, you don't need a McDonald's because everything's freshly made. I don't know how I can keep hammering that in. But when I've been on a long journey, I don't want to have, you know, freshly baked bread. I want a sweaty cheeseburger. Yeah, but you can get a, a sweaty, freshly baked scotch egg. For example, yeah, or a sausage roll, me, or or a, or a cake, or anything. They've got these like cronuts. They're amazing. Same. Gotta go. Uh, I'll have a look at some point. I can assure you of that. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. Is <laughs> second tier. Thank you for joining us, wherever you are. We've got a load of midweek games to talk about here on the show today. We'll also talk about Grant McCann being sacked in the news and where Hull go from there. Also in the news we've got the latest on Derby, West Brom's injury problems which I, I, I spoiler alert, I don't think this is going to be a good episode for West Brom and then finally we'll finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. But before we get underway dear listener let me tell you about our friends at Fansbet, the fan led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of bet £10 get £30 plus 10 free spins when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast uk mobile registrations only terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fans bet responsible gambling tools let's begin with the game at the hawthorns between west brom and preston west brom the only team yet to be beaten at home this season coming up against a preston side who hadn't won at the hawthorns since 1973 Yet it was Ryan Lowe's boys who came out of this with a 2-0 win. The craziest thing is, Justin, Preston were much the better side, weren't they? Absolutely were. They were They were really good here. And I think this is the Ryan Lowe side that we're starting to see filter into, um, into Preston. It's, it's really, really good to see. And as well as that, you've got a... I think the most impressive thing about this, this game from a Preston perspective is they limited West Brom to basically nothing. Um, they were so organised and so defensively solid that I think if West Brom played another couple of hours, they wouldn't have scored. So big hats off to Ryan Lowe and Preston because it takes a lot of it takes a lot for a team who haven't necessarily pulled up any trees this season to go away to a team who is unbeaten, um, unbeaten at home this season and, and get something from their game. Not only that, but get a win as well. Yeah, West Brom didn't manage a single shot on target. 
which is astonishing in the circumstances. We'll get on to West Brom in a sec. Uh, Cameron Archer scored on his debut for Preston since joining from Aston Villa. I bet that felt good for him scoring against uh, <laughs> Villa's rivals. Just 20 years old, but it was a brilliant poacher's goal, wasn't it, Justin? He's got to be there in the right place at the right time. And for someone so young to be able to sniff out a goal like that, he did it superbly, didn't he? Yeah, you've, you've got to... Exactly what you said. You've got to sort of get into the right place at the right time, and he did that. And I think it's always difficult to judge um, loan players, especially when they're coming from Premier League clubs and they've not made appearances at first team level. Um, I think Lucas and, and Mecha had a loan spell at Preston not too long ago and didn't really kick on, although he has now. Um, but it, you, you struggle to see where where they go. So him him for Archer to get a goal on his debut is, is a massive plus. And as you say, it was a poacher's goal. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot more from him with the ball at his feet, um, getting into the good areas as well, and see more of what he can do. Because although it was a poacher's goal, I think I think even West Brom might have scored it. Yeah, well, they've needed a striker this season, haven't they? They have. Yeah. As they've had Emory Jakobsen, but they like to play with two up top, and Jakobsen did have a dry spell didn't he up until the last couple of games um, so they needed a new striker to come in Cameron Archer scoring on his debut is going to do him a world of good and Preston fans were singing his name all evening <laughs> well since he came off the bench anyway so he's already taken to the Preston fans really well um, he's going to be sung about for a long time as well because he, he did look really sharp when he came off the bench and gave Preston a new lease of life as well so yeah really good from him and just really good from Preston Munter it was as you say a really good defensive performance um, West Brom weren't great I don't think they were at the races at all and as I say we'll get onto them in a sec but you can't take anything away from North End here Ryan Lowe has definitely got them going hasn't he they were yeah, unbeaten yeah. up until quite recently when they uh, did lose but every game they've been competitive and that's more than what you can say under the past couple of regimes isn't it yeah, you're spot on. Um, I think I pretty much said it um, not too long ago, but but pressing, it, it's given them a new lease of life. I know you mentioned Archer giving pressing a new lease of life, Lowe's giving pressing a new lease of life. Um, and I think for a club that sort of started to fizzle out and become a mid-table, mediocre side, not really challenging for anything, for a manager to come in and, and revitalise them um, is, a, is a massive plus because Preston deserve to be competing at the top end of the table. Absolutely. Justin, I think I'd put this down as one of the worst home performances I've seen from a team this season. And we're not talking about, say, a Barnsley, for example. We're talking about West Bromwich Albion here. Someone who should be targeting the top two, yet they didn't manage a single shot on target and were completely outperformed by a mid-table side. It was shocking, wasn't it? And the West Brom fans were booing at the end of half-time, at the end of full-time, it was absolutely atrocious, wasn't it? I think the booed straight after Archer scored the second as well. I've never I've never heard a chorus of boos like that after our position score. You know, there's always the exasperated gasps and what have you, but uh, yeah, quite a loud chorus of boos again when Archer scored. So that is a bad indictment, um, as you can give to a home team. Um, it, it seems to be fizzling, or, or it's been sort of, smouldering away um, a lot of this frustration from home supporters and I, and I do understand it um, and, I, and I thought to put in that level of performance after a 3-0 home win uh, against Peterborough albeit it was against Peterborough who have a really bad away record I thought they could have built on it and kicked on but they didn't I, I don't really know how to explain 
you know what what goes through the players' heads when they when they step out onto the pitch. You know how how can there be that big of a drop off? It really was really really poor. And I know we have a habit of sort of increasing sort of the noise around around certain things, but this really was a bad home performance. It was really really poor, and it's one of those home performances where you look at the likes of Valerie and Ishmael, and you do start to question his future. Yeah, I'd say this is a sackable performance to be quite honest, because it was abysmal it, it was so so poor from a side that should be challenging for the top two this was bad and we'd said not long ago didn't we that Valerian Ishmael hasn't got many bad performances left in him and this is probably the worst this is probably the only bad performance he's had since then but this was so bad that I think I wouldn't blame West Brom for sacking him after this because you look at where they're going now they are drifting out of the playoffs aren't they that shouldn't be happening West Brom should be looking at the playoffs as at least a minimum, um, but they should be at least also challenging for the top two at the same time. But they're not doing that anymore. They've been overtaken by numerous sides, and now I think if you had to ask me who's going to finish in the top six at this very moment, I probably would leave out West Brom, which is shocking, really. And I think we've been big supporters of Valo and Ishmael, haven't we, across the course of the season? But I, there's it's difficult to defend him after this kind of performance because this was so bad. They've only got one win in six, and that was against Peterborough at home. I struggle to see him staying on after this job, Justin. It's yeah, I I, I do agree with you. I think I, I've mentioned this issue before, but I think the reason why it works so well at Barnsley under Ishmael is because teams weren't sitting back as much against them. I think they saw it as an opportunity to get three points, then took it for granted a little bit, got complacent, and it allowed Ishmael to you know, exact his style of play onto onto the teams and games. That's why it was so successful. Whereas West Brom. There's more onus on them being a possession-based team now. If they were transitioning, if they were a transitioning side, um, then it might work for Ishmael, where he's got a year to get his idea ideas across, get his style of play, and adapt it. Um, but he hasn't got a year because you know the only, it, the remit is to get West Brom promoted this season. Um, so that they've got a it's got to be a results based, and at the minute it's not results based, it's not performance based either. Um, and as I say, teams are sitting deep against West Brom. They're allowing West Brom the ball, and when they've got the ball, they've got no idea what to do with it. Spot on. In a massive game on Monday night, Blackburn beat Middlesbrough 1-0 thanks to a goal by Sam Gallagher. It was an interesting watch this, Justin. It was like a chess game between two masters. Do you, would you agree with that? Uh, two masters, two masters who haven't been in the Premier League for a while. If it was a, if it was a Norwich Fulham, for example, you know, a master of promotion, then I might say two masters, but maybe two, just maybe two good players at chess. Maybe I might, might be doing them both a disservice. I'm getting too too technical on this chess <laughs> chess chat. But you are right. It was a it was a very tactical match, um, and I think uh, it, I, I think probably a nil nil might have been a fair result, but at the same time. Uh, Middlesbrough squandered a lot of opportunities whereas Blackburn took theirs when it came and Blackburn didn't have too many not as many as uh, Middlesbrough anyway mm. I thought Blackburn were much better than they were in the last couple of games because against mm. Hull they were fairly poor and weren't great in their win against Cardiff so I was worried about them losing momentum but this was a great way to show that they're absolutely not and a win against an informed side who are looking to challenge for the top two let alone the top six especially when you're missing two of your star players in Joe Rothwell and Ben Barrett and Diaz. I think it's a big statement win that makes even people like myself have been wondering whether Blackburn could sustain this um, this form. Makes me look at them and think, OK, fair play, you are the real deal. So I'll admit Blackburn are better than I thought they were. Is top six nailed on? I don't think you can say for sure yet because 
I mean, there are loads of sides who are still aiming for the top six, aren't they? You've got Fulham, who are, I think, nailed on for top two now, aren't they? Then you've got Bournemouth, Middlesbrough, Forest. I mean, I could go on and on, but there are so many sides who are looking at the top six right now, and I think all it takes is one side to slip up, and that won't happen. But Blackburn are looking like a really, really good bet for the top six now, um, and we'll be eyeing up the top two at the same time as well. Uh, I think... Keeping Ben Barrett and Diaz is going to be key in that now because it looks like he's going to stay now, doesn't it? Joe Rothwell has been linked with a move away, but we'll wait and see on that one. Is worth saying I had my concerns defensively as well before, but they have really tightened up at the back since I said that, so Blackburn fans can thank me for that one. Um, but yeah, Rovers have got them. They've got to make sure they just keep picking up the results against the top sides because they've got a few of them coming up in the next few weeks and that's going to be a real tester for them. But this was a great way to start off that tricky one, getting a win against a really top side in Middlesbrough who are going really well at the moment. Um, why didn't Borough get anything from this game, Justin? They came close a couple of times, didn't they, particularly through Matt Crooks? Yeah, it was quite an interesting game from Borough's perspective because I think at the end of the game they had four strikers, five strikers on the pitch, um, which and they still couldn't unlock it. I think some of the issues, not issues really, because they've been very, very good, but... If you look at the right-hand side compared to the left-hand side, on the right-hand side you've got Isaiah Jones, who is a chance-creating machine. He's, he's very, very good um, at, at getting his um, players into the right areas. But on the left-hand side, you've got Neil Taylor, who's a very good full-back, but is he a wing-back? So could they could they bring someone in at left wing-back to, to come in and add an extra creative edge to them? I think I said a few weeks ago that they could do with... Uh, a little bit of extra creativity. It's not necessarily a number 10 in the Janino role, but you look at Ryan Giles and what he did at left wing back for um, Coventry and Rotherham last season and even spells of Cardiff this season, he's very good at um, creating chances from the left-hand side. So it's not necessarily adding a, an extra playmaker in the team. It's adding a different dimension to, to the flanks. I know they've got Mark Boller and Neil Taylor, but it just might work in scenarios like, like this where... They are struggling to create a lot of chances, adding an extra player in who can who can unlock a, a defence in a different way with a deep cross, for example. Isaiah um, Jones gets to the byline. Um, that might be a different dimension, but it wasn't too much to to complain about. It was just a really frustrating day in front of goal. I think that's what let Borough down. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Borough fan, to be quite honest. I think Sam Gallagher, nine out of time, nine out of 10 times he doesn't score from where he did um, and then air air kick as well yeah and then Matt Crooks as well had a couple of good chances didn't he as I say and Isaiah Jones had a penalty shout turned down which was it looked a bit more like a penalty than it not being a penalty so yeah I think it was just one of those days where it didn't go Burroughs way um, I thought Balogun looks good when he came off uh, came off the bench was causing a few problems late on in the game um, hope to see him a bit more in the next couple of weeks Peterborough didn't lose away from home. What on earth? They drew 2-2 with Birmingham. They were actually 2-0 up before the 85th minute and then reality set back in. Um, we'll give Peterborough their fair due shortly, Justin, but I, I can't help but think about how shocking a result this is for Birmingham. Well, yeah, it might be a bit harsh on Peterborough, um, but you are right that because of Peterborough's away record, you, 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 you're certainly right. But I don't think it's necessarily the, the result that's shocking. It's probably the more so the performance. If a manager's coming out and, and questioning your players' desire and effort levels and we're only in January, then there's something, it feels like there's something a lot wrong with, with, with the squad and what's going on with the squad. Um, now, Lebo is a, a very 
I wouldn't, he comes across as very disciplined, so you know he wouldn't allow his players going out partying and what have you. He comes across as a very disciplined manager without being too disciplined, if that makes sense. Um, so it, it's quite surprising for him to come out and, and question his players' effort levels and, and stuff like that. But I think with this, you've got a, a team who, with Peterborough, they're fighting for their lives. They get one. There's a little bit more belief. They get another. Um, I think with Birmingham City, they just didn't match Peterborough's desire to, to get the result. Um, I know it's not a very technical, in-depth analysis of, of their performance, but that's literally just that was, that's what it came down to, is that um, a desire to go and get the game, essentially. Mm. Well, the first goal was a comedy of errors, wasn't it? Ivan Sunjic loses the ball on the edge of the Peterborough box, and then Peterborough goes straight up the other end. Birmingham player slips on the way there, and it's essentially four on two, and Peterborough score from it. Um, but since the start of November... Blues have picked up just two wins. One of them was against Barnsley at the weekend, who was so bad that I'm not sure I'd even count it as a win. But they are essentially showing relegation form, aren't they, Birmingham? They've got a 12-point gap, which I'd assume would be good enough to mean they shouldn't be in danger, but they are really struggling at the moment. And I think part of the reason why Birmingham fans are protesting, I say I think, is one of the reasons why Birmingham fans are protesting, is because their squad is so poor despite them spending a decent whack over the last few years. The sad truth is, Birmingham's best players this season have all been on loan, haven't they? And mm-hmm. aren't at the club anymore. You've got Chong, who was a live wire for them before he got injured. Dion Sanderson was a class act at the back. Riley McGree was handy in midfield. Matthias Arkic was a solid goalkeeper once before he got injured. And all were on loan. All have gone now. Out of the permanent players they've got, how many of them would you call sellable assets? Not many. I don't think you make a profit on any of the senior players, in fact, which says a lot about how shocking the recruitment has been over the last few years, hasn't it? The only players they'd probably make any money on would be the youngsters. But the owners have shut down the academy, haven't they? So it's uh, it just everything, every problem that Birmingham have seems to go straight back to the owners. And it says, and it goes back to what we were saying at the weekend, Justin, when we were talking about why fans are protesting. It's not that they're asking for more money to be spent. They want people in the club who actually know how to spend the money because you could spend 20 million quid in a transfer window, but it's pointless if it's going on players who are fairly bang average. And Birmingham over the last few years have just been recruiting fairly bang average players, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, I think you've got to look at the forwards. Um, they've been linked with Lyle Taylor. Um, so that would, that would be four forwards there who are over the age of 30. Um I mean, Djokovic is a handy player. Hogan's he's he's useful for scoring at least ten goals a season, and and Deeney, Deeney feels like he's past his best. So that's that's just a, a, as bad of a, a criticism of their recruitment. There's no long term planning. There's no planning at all, and that's why, as you say, fans want change because there's no one at the club that knows what they're doing in any department. Basically, yeah. And I think a lot of the players there who you've just mentioned are on big wages as well, but they're not going to get money back for those players. So it seems like we're just going around in a cycle where Birmingham get rid of a player who is past his best, then bring in another player who's past his best, but they're not bringing in any money for those players. So it just seems a bit ridiculous, really, and I can completely understand why Birmingham fans are protesting. We've given Peterborough plenty of stick, haven't we, across the course of the season, so we need to be fair and say they deserved it up until the 85th minute. <laughs> um, I thought Callum Morton was great when he came off the bench. The run to win the penalty was absolutely sensational from him, but the man who really stood out for me was Kwame Poku, just 20 years old. His first league start for Posh after signing from Colchester in the summer. Based on this performance, I'm not sure why he hasn't been playing more earlier, Justin, because everything good that Peterborough did went straight through him and, dare I say, 
almost made me forget about Sariki Dembele. Um, but I would like to see more of him because he really stood out for me in this game. It was a really good full championship debut from him. More performances like this from him and his teammates. And we could finally see some life in this Peterborough team yet, Justin. I think I think the, the, the game here, the result and the performance... I know the result wasn't a win, but it does show that Peterborough have got something about them. And as you say, Kwame Poku was brilliant. Both the forwards got on the score sheet, which is a massive, massive confidence um, boost for them because Clark Harris, I know Marriott's been injured, but when he has played, he hasn't looked particularly dangerous. So for them both to get on the score sheet is is, is brilliant. And as you say, um, Poku stood out. I want to sort of mention Mumba as well, who kept... Um, he kept Hernandez very, very quiet. Hernandez has been in decent run of form for Birmingham since arriving on loan. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a top top performance. It's a shame that I think that, that the collapse. I wouldn't say collapse, but Birmingham getting getting a result at the end of the game. Um, I think that's just a, a confidence thing and a belief gets zapped out of you when you concede one in the 85th minute. The next one's going to come at some point. That's what it feels like, especially if you haven't won away all season. So. Make no mistake, this is massive, massive progress for Peterborough. Massive progress. The stats show that they were more creative. Um, they, they they restricted Birmingham at times. Yeah, this is a big plus and a step in the right direction. Can we see them? Could it be a turning point? Can we see them progress from here? Remains to be seen. But if they can get a result in the next game, then that's a start. I think every Peterborough fan on earth would have taken a point from this game. So if you look at it from that aspect, then it's a positive if you just have to ignore the dropping a 2-0 lead and then finally uh, before we go to a little break Justin in what was one of the more predictable results of the championship season Forrest beat Barnsley 3-0 and this was as straightforward as it gets really wasn't it it was straightforward I think the most interesting thing to come out of this game is that Steve Cooper said he wasn't happy with the second half performance which just goes to show that the standards he's setting now at Nottingham Forest are very very high we know he's a very good coach but if you convincingly beat a team 3-0 and you're still not happy then yeah, how how can we please you? How can we make you happy? Um, so yeah, it was a good performance. And Ryan Yates' goal was, was brilliantly worked, for example. Um, yeah, really good performance from Forrest. Step in the right direction again. They're a good side. I think they're, they're a side to, to look out for for the playoffs, absolutely. Keenan Davis got his first goal in a Forrest shirt. Was just effortlessly comfortable for Steve Cooper's boys. I really like the pairing of Yates and Garner in midfield because they really complement each other well don't they you've got Yates winning the ball back Garner pulling the strings both were absolutely class here Brennan Johnson Barnsley defenders just didn't know what to do with him three wins on the trot now for Forrest and just a point away from the top six is worth saying Barnsley were trying to get this game cooled off because of a lack of players not sure how much of a difference it would have made because they are just bad aren't they they've now picked up the fewest points after 26 games in championship history which is a sad indictment in how shocking this season has been. Uh, that is ignoring side with points deductions as well. So it's just really poor, isn't it, Justin? What's going on at Oakwell? We're repeating ourselves pretty much every week. Uh, the squad isn't good enough. Uh, what's happening uh, upstairs in the, in the hierarchy isn't good enough either. Um, as Bargy is, is he the right man? There's question marks there. There's just yeah, there's there's a lot of. Um, a lot of bad going on at Barnsley which is really surprising because there was a lot of good last season um, they made all the right choices last season and this season they made all the wrong choices and they're paying for it um, but this game yeah it was, it was really really poor and it's exactly where you expect Barnsley to be comfortable in for Forest. I think whoever Barnsley come up um, come up against it's going to be a, a relatively comfortable game 
Just then, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about QPR and Swansea's goalless draw. And Victor Jokeres getting his first goal for Coventry since October. Back to the second tier podcast. QPR and Swansea played out a goalless draw. Uh, QPR had won four games on the trot heading into this, whereas Swansea had only one win in six. Despite that, Swansea were probably the better side, Justin. But considering the form, a missed opportunity for Rangers, perhaps? Um, maybe. Uh, you can't win every game. I think that's what you've got to take from that. You can't win every game. So if you don't win, you at least get a result from it. Um I think David Marshall was was man of the match again. I think that's the the worrying thing. I think we can we can talk about missed opportunities, but at the minute QPR concede, conceding a lot of chances, um, and David Marshall um, winning man of the match in, in the last two games. I think, yeah, you, there are things that need to be improved upon definitely from from QPR. But we've been saying that fairly often this season. Um, but at the same time, Swansea are a good side. They're going to open teams up. And they they seem to be turning a corner a little bit as well now in terms of form and form, form and performances as well. So, yeah, I think a draw probably ferries Swansea maybe edged it, but at the same time, yeah, kept kept Marshall busy. Yeah, David Marshall was definitely busy. He's been a busy boy in the last couple <laughs> of games, aren't he? Filling in for Sani Dieng, Swansea were pretty solid defensively here. I think QPR hit the post, didn't they? But they didn't have much else um, apart from a disallowed chance for Charlie Austin but actually I think he was on side wasn't he um, but yeah Swansea have definitely made progress defensively haven't they um, they were like a sieve earlier in the season but one could argue that it's come at the expense at scoring goals at the same time but they are still missing Jamie Patterson who has been really good for them this season yet is out the team because of contract dispute but QPR fourth and four points off the top two with a game in hand on Blackburn Victor Jokeres got his first goal for Coventry since October to beat Stoke 1-0 I was amazed at how simple a win this ended up being for Coventry Stoke were great in their loss to Fulham at the weekend but here they were bang average really weren't they yeah, I saw some Stoke fans saying it was the worst performance of the season and they've said it quite a few times. Um, so that, that really was probably one of the worst performances of the season. But you look at uh, how many chances they created, didn't create many. Uh, you look at how, how many they conceded, you know, Coventry, as you say, were fairly comfortable. I think the only, the only criticism you can say of Coventry is they didn't, they didn't score more. Um, so yeah, Stoke's performance was really, really poor. Looked very lightweight in midfield as well. Um, Ince, Baker, Klukas doesn't strike me as a well-balanced midfield three. Um, you know, they, they are lacking in that that, that remains Sawyer's Joe Allen type who, who can do do a little bit of the dirty work. So, yeah, it was, it was a poor performance. Um, the commentary goal came from a mistake from an experienced player as well. So, yeah, they've lost 11 games this season. There's a, a lot of question marks I have over Stoke and, and finishing their top six. I don't think it's going to be their season again for them. Yeah. I completely agree. My um, ambitions of Stoke finishing top six have drastically dwindled in the last couple of months very quickly. Um, but Coventry, you're absolutely right, should have probably scored earlier here because they missed some bloody good chances. Uh, but good to see Victor Yarkrez back on the score sheet because he's had a tough time recently, hasn't he? Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Um, he's a player who's he's always, he's always available. He's always willing to work hard and his run of goals at the start of the season probably 
set of realistic expectations for himself and from us and from supporters. Um, it really was a, a ridiculous run of a run of form from him. Um, so for him to get a goal it was a very good goal as well. Um, lovely, lovely finish from from just outside the area. Um, so his, his quality is still there. His quality of runs are still there. But sometimes, as I say, you set expectations for yourself if you've got a mammoth run like that. And, you know, He's been victim of that essentially, um, but for him to to get a goal, he's going to do him the world of good. And he and he was dangerous all game as well. He wasn't just the, the finish; he was dangerous all game. He asked a lot of questions of Stoke's defence, um, and 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 they struggled to they struggled to deal with him. So yeah, he's a very very good player because of this goal drought. It doesn't make him a bad player. He's very good with the ball at his feet. He's very good with runs, and he's a good finisher as well. And that proved that today, yeah, the other day. A rather simplistic view of it would be saying that he seems like a confident striker. And that may very well be the case with him, but uh, we've only seen him in handful of handful of seasons now, haven't we? So it's hard to tell, really. Um, but based on how his form's been this season, that may very well be the case. But this performance was like the Coventry of old, wasn't it? The the one who was getting points against load of really good teams earlier in the season, but Stoke. I'm not really sure what happened there. They just did not get going at all. Worth saying, a Coventry fan has been arrested on suspicion of racially abusing a Stoke player during the warm-up of this game. The Sky Blues say the person has had their season ticket confiscated and has been banned from future games. And finally, Luton 2, Bristol City 1. Elijah Adebayo scoring the winner for Luton. It won't go down as one of his finest strikes, Justin, but I really like him. I think he's a really handy striker. He's someone I was expecting to have a good season and he's doing even better than I expected. Adebayo is quickly becoming one of my favourite players in the league. Um, I don't think there's a defender in the league who will have a comfortable game against him. Um, if you look at his ability to, to get in good areas, you know, we've said all along for a lot, Luton are very good at creating chances. They're very good at getting the ball into the six-yard box. Adebayo is there sort of nine times out of ten. Can be wasteful, but at the same time, he's, he's making a big step up from League Two um, to the Championship. Obviously, he came last January, still making a transition. But physically, he's very hard to, to defend against. He, he's quick. He's, he's very good in the air. He's got the whole package as a, as a, as a forward. Good movement, good finisher. Um, yeah, yeah, can be clinical, um, but there's stuff to work on. Yeah, he's such a good player, and as I say, although it wasn't the best goal, and we're, we're praising him a lot for probably one of his worst goals. I'd say it's a worst goal. It didn't have a lot of quality in the goal, um, but you've got to be there at the right time, and that's that's a that's a big plus. Yeah, you've got to be in the right place at the right time, aren't you? Uh, but he has got 11 goals for the season now, and we're just past halfway. So if he gets 20 then that will represent a phenomenal season for him, won't it, after making a step up from League 2 literally this time last year. Um, I, I could definitely see him in the Premier League at some point. I, I don't know about you, but he's got the physicality for the top level. The crazy thing is, as you mentioned there, he has missed quite a few big chances this season, so he should have probably scored more, which is why I think I'd like to see him stay at Luton for at least another season so he can sharpen up on that side of his game. But he is a real handful for opposition defenders because he works tirelessly and is a big bully of a striker, isn't he? But he's been quality this season. Back to the game, Tom Lockyer scored for Luton. Obviously, used to play for Bristol Rovers, so celebrated <laughs> by going straight over to the Bristol City fans. He looked like he enjoyed that one. All in all, rather even game. Nigel Pearson thought it was a missed opportunity for them. Andy Varman got on the score sheet as well. Again, he's having a good season. Luton now 10th, six points off the playoffs. Bristol City sits 16th, their fourth loss in six games. Right, now it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news and Hull have sacked manager Grant McCann. The news came just days after the club was taken over by Turkish businessman Akun Ilekali. He'd previously been quoted as saying he wanted the club to be made up of Turkish people. There was a lot of debate at the time, Justin, over whether that meant Grant McCann's days were numbered once the takeover was complete. Turns out it did. Yes, yeah, it, it seems his days were numbered. It's just a, a case of a, a new owner wanting his, his own people. Um, in place and you can't begrudge him of that I think considering that um, I think the only the only way the only reason why you can criticise it is because of Hull's form over the last few months it's been very very good and obviously on the back of two wins against two top teams but at the same time this has been in the, the running since October November he'd probably known that at some point he was going to go it's just a matter of when the takeover was going to be done yeah I, I think you're absolutely right he can count himself unlucky because being sacked after beating Blackburn and Bournemouth is unlucky, but um, it has been on the cards for a long time, hasn't it? And I'm a bit split on this move. I will say, I think if the new owners want to start a new era, then it's the right thing to do, because for a lot of Hull fans, whether he deserves it or not, he reminds them of the Alam era, and many of them, many of Hull fans can't forgive him for that season. So I think ultimately, these new, new owners want to get to the Premier League, don't they? And unfortunately, I struggle to ever see that happening with Grant McCann in charge no matter how good their squad gets and um, so I guess in a way I think as well the facts Hull are now 10 points clear of the bottom three maybe the new owners are seeing that as a big enough cushion to have a gamble and start the new era now but of course when you bring in a new manager um, who we'll get onto in a sec may stop the momentum might it but whether they get dragged back into the relegation battle now with a 10 point cushion and the teams down there being so poor um I'd say it's unlikely, but definitely not out of the question. Well, the man who's reportedly set to replace Grant McCann is Shota Arvaladze, the former Georgian striker. Some people may remember him playing for Rangers in the early 2000s. His last club was Pakatur Tashkent in Uzbekistan. And then before, he's been at Maccabee Tel Aviv and a few clubs in Turkey. What did you think of Shota Arvaladze's Paktakur Tashkent side, Justin? <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'm a massive follower of... Uh... Uzbekistan League but what? I think I oh know it's, it's a travesty I am not a football purist I am simply a uh, sofa armchair fan um, I, yeah I think Arvaladze I think he's obviously he's got to come in and make an impact very quickly um, and I think if, if the chairman uh, or the new ownership trusts him then then, then, then fair enough um, but he's, he's got a good pedigree he had a good, very good pedigree as a player Um he scored a lot of goals, played for Ajax, Alkmaar, AZ Alkmaar, obviously played for Rangers as well. Does that matter? Spain. I think it helps. I think it helps that he was a, a, a good player. He's not just a, a complete unknown. Alan Shearer yeah. should surely be the best manager ever then, shouldn't he? Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's going to be a good manager, but it certainly helps him in, in this situation. And I think that the, the teams he's managed other than, I mean, there's no discredit to the Uzbekistan League. It's not at the top of my watch list. Um, I think it, you know, he has he has been at some some, some big clubs, Tel Maccabi Tel Aviv, um, uh, Kasim Pasar as well in Turkey uh, in Karaspor. So, yeah, there, there are worse there are worse possible um, managers they could have brought in. Let's say that. I'm getting very Leonard Slutsky vibes from this appointment, and that's not a good thing. Um, I, I think in the long term, I'm worried about this appointment. Um, because when you bring in a manager who has 
no knowledge of the championship whatsoever. Sure, that has worked in the past with other managers, but with this manager in particular, I, I'm going to guess he hasn't seen much of this whole team. Um, I, I get a bit worried when they bring in a manager like this. And when he's managed the teams that he has done, surely maybe big teams, but is the standard of the league is going to be nowhere near the championship, um, possibly in Turkey, but I don't think his record in Turkey was particularly good either. So I, I'm a bit on the fence about this, but the new owners have come in, they want to do their own thing, got to let them do it, and I'm sure the Hall fans are going to be supporting them, aren't they, across as, as it goes on. So yeah, but we'll wait and see on this one, but I've got my reservations i've got to say now the latest on derby justin the daily mail is reporting that if the administrators prove they have enough funds to see out the season the club will not be expelled from the efl it's thought they need around five million pounds for that not to happen it has talks continue with three parties interested in buying the club including mike ashley reportedly whose representatives were apparently shown around the stadium at the weekend. Uh, Justin, there's been a lot of concern from Derby fans, hasn't there, about the lack of updates because we seem to be getting statement after statement last week and now in the last few days we haven't had a single statement, I don't think, have we, apart from the one saying you'll get a statement in the next 24 hours and that came out on Monday. Um, <laughs> so a lot of Derby fans are a bit worried about what's going on at the moment. I think, I mean, there's no one's leaking anything. Um, if you look at the last few weeks, a lot of journalists have been leaked information about Derby's state no one said anything which i would take as a positive because you know at the end of the day if, if the efl wanted to get information out there derby probably facing liquidation then i think the story would have got out if you look at the the um the last few weeks um so i don't think there's anything to be concerned about just yet just just be patient wait for that statement and then from there that you know, if the statement it reads bad, then it reads bad. Then then you then we can start to worry and think of alternatives like you know, crowdfunding, <laughs> essentially. Um, time is running out, Justin. They gave the end of February is the time that they need proof that they have funds, didn't they? And we are at the time recording on the twenty seventh. Yeah, at the same time, you've got to trust the process. I know it's I know it's hard saying that, but. The administrators have got three people interested in buying the club. They're not going to go away um, at the blink of an eye. They've got a, 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 a potential bidder who's who doesn't mind what claims are against Derby. So that's a positive as well. So just be patient this week. Just be patient. It's been a very emotionally draining couple of weeks. Just take a seat back and relax. It's very hot. It's very that's a very difficult thing to do. But getting worked up and hysteric about it isn't going to help anything. West Brom striker Daryl GK is set to be out for two months after a hamstring injury. He only made his full debut at the weekend for the Albion. I mean, how unlucky can you get if you're a West Brom fan? Well, we said that bringing in DK was a season-defining moment, potentially, for West Brom. Um, it's going to fire them into the automatics. And two games later, a couple of bad misses as well. He's, he's pulled his hamstrings out for two months. Again, possibly another season-defining uh, injury for, for West Brom because they weren't scoring with their current crop of strikers DK's now out injured they've got to rely on that current crop of strikers again what's going to happen they're going to, are they going to all of a sudden ch change and become prolific don't think so well they have been linked with getting another striker in um, which I think they definitely need to do in the uh, remaining days of the window but time is obviously running out Um 
so yeah, West Brom in a bit of a pickle right now, aren't they, to say the very least. A bit more good news for Hull. They've announced they're no longer under a transfer embargo after paying off the loan that was given to them by the EFL during the pandemic. In transfer news, the deals, the done deals from the past few days include Dion Sanderson moving to QPR on loan. Thoughts on that one, Justin? My thinking was, do they really need him? They've got three good centre-halves in Dickey, Dunn and Barbe. So I'm not sure if I'm missing something here, but it seems like they don't really need him. It's a good signing. Um, he's, he, he can fill in at wing back as well. He's a versatile player. He can play all across the back, the back four, back five. So yeah, I think it's a good signing nonetheless. I think I think it's a good signing. I'm not going to deny that he was brilliant at Birmingham earlier in the season. But I, I'd have thought if you're Wolves who have loaned him out, they'd want to send him to somewhere where he's guaranteed to play a bit more. But maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe he will play instead of one of the aforementioned centre-halves, but they've all been pretty good this season. Um, Sheffield United have signed Stoke goalkeeper Adam Davies. Makes sense, doesn't it? They need a keeper after that terrible Robin Olsen signing. Villa striker Cameron Archer has gone to Preston on loan. We were just talking about that a second ago, weren't we? Elsewhere, according to Football Insider, Cardiff are in advance talks to re-sign Ryan Giles from Wolves. It'd be a big signing for them, wouldn't it, considering he was their only creative outlet earlier in the season. Yeah, quite odd to be their best player in the first half of the season. Um, I think we we said that we started to worry about Cardiff. I'm laughing because the situation that Wolves have put a lot of clubs in this window, you know, almost yeah. shitting themselves because of COVID and needing extra players in the squad. Not used any of them, going to send them back out again. Really not not a fan of that, but that's going to be Cardiff's game, hopefully, because Ryan Giles is a top, top player and boy, do they need an attacking outlet. He's probably been their player of the season, hasn't he? Yeah. And he's not been there for the past few weeks. Uh, so it would be a massive sign if they do get him back because right now they have got next to nothing in terms of creativity. But in Ryan Jones, they've got one of the best creative outlets in the championship this season. But when he is in the side, they are heavily reliant on his left foot to provide those chances. Uh, so definitely need to bring in him and hopefully someone else. But as I say, time's running out in the old window. Uh, the Lancashire Telegraph says Blackburn have rejected a third bid from Bournemouth for midfielder Joe Rothwell. Um, Blackburn are going to hold on for dear life to him, aren't they? But he is out of contract in the summer, Justin. I think they'll take the risk. I don't think it's worth strengthening a, a, a promotion rival as well. Um, so I think they'll take the risk. It's just whether or not Rothwell wants to move. Um, I think it would come down to the player at that point. Um, if he's going to you know, kick off and make a fuss of things. I don't think he would because Blackburn have got a very good unity. So, yeah, if they can keep hold of him, it's it's a it's a massive massive plus because it's it's also shifted to focus away, focus away from uh, Ben Brereton Diaz as well. So, always nice. And finally, the Hull Daily Mail says Hull are interested in signing Ryan Barbel. He's currently at Galatasaray and is out of contract in the summer. I mean, Ryan Barbel in the Championship. Just I tell you, when he was at Fulham not long ago, he was tearing up the Premier League, wasn't he? So, I mean, if he's dropping down to Championship level, he could be quite a good signing, couldn't he? Yeah, he would be a great signing. So please, please, please make that happen. And as well as that, I quite fancy him dyeing his hair in like a tiger pattern. He's, he's, All right. He, well, he's, he's, you know, he likes to dye his hair. He had a bright red Bright red hair dye when he was at Fulham. Tiger pattern on his head. On brand. I'm all for it. I am absolutely all for it. Right now it's time for this. (laughs) 
All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. I've just got to guess who it is. The score is 9-6 to myself, so a chance for me to get a four-point lead this week. Four points, Justin. Do you reckon four points is an unassailable lead? No, because I'm changing things up now. I've I've been really, really lenient with clues and, 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 and individuals. Um, I've made them fairly obvious, so you're, you're getting them now. Mate. I'm looking forward to the most obscure player the Championship has ever seen. Right, hit me with the first clue, please. I made 248 appearances, scoring 68 goals. Ooh, that is quite a few goals. Um do the maths in my head what's that that's one in four isn't it so it must be must be a striker you know what I will go for Stephen Fletcher no don't think he's made that many appearances at championship level that's what I was thinking idiot see I'm getting in your head I'm I'm being aggressive I'm decompressing this Craig Bryson pub quiz I made, I made my Norwich debut in 1992 against Bayern Munich before making my first division debut in 1995 before moving to Gillingham. My God. We're going back that far, are we? Okay. Um, I would no, no idea this player played for Norwich. Okay. I'll, I'll completely avoid that for my thinking then. Um, <laughs> I don't have a clue. Next one, please, Justin. I have a clue. I, <laughs> I was up and down the Championship and League One with Bristol City before earning a big money move to Wolves in the Championship. But it's still first division at this point. When you say 200 championship appearances, you're not counting that as first division, are you? It's championship and first division, yeah. That's not been the rules, Justin. It, well, it it's, has. It's, uh, you can't just you can't just eradicate <laughs> 20 years of football. I said 200 championship appearances. And that's what I've been following for the last three years of the podcast, but... I'll let it slide on this occasion. Could be controversy at the end of this one, ladies and gentlemen. What was the clue again? <laughs> Absolute, yeah. I was up and down the Championship in League One with Bristol City before earning, before a big money move to Wolves in the Championship. Addy Akinbae. Piss off. Is Absolute, that right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I... I was just trying to think of... Championship strikers have played for Wolves in the early 2000s. Adi Akinbayi, straight to the noggin. <laughs> Justin is appalled. A four-point lead, ladies and gentlemen. Fist pumps all round. I need listeners to let me know. Am I doing something wrong here? Or is he just pulling these out of his arse? Because this is ridiculous now. <laughs> they are coming firmly out of my arse. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Get up the rest of the clues, please, Justin. I then made a... A big money move to Leicester, where I was a huge flop. Mm-hmm. After a few goal-laden years, I joined Stoke City under Tony Pulis, where I discovered my goal-scoring touch. Before I moved to Burnley, then Sheffield United. Mm. I remember him being at Burnley because I think he got sent off on his debut for scrapping, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That always sticks oh. in my memory for some reason. Good job I didn't put that down as a clue. Didn't matter anyway. Uh, final clue is: despite being a regular goal scorer in the Championship, I only made one appearance for Nigeria. Yeah. That surprised me. Yeah. yeah, he scored a lot of goals. That surprised me. He's a fairly handy striker at this level, isn't he? 
what a, what a legend, Adiakim Bailly. Um, there we go. 10-6 to myself, ladies and gentlemen. Justin just can't get a point for love nor money at the moment. And I'm flying. I still haven't got one wrong since... Phew, we're talking... October, September time, aren't we? It's been a long time since I got one wrong. So there we go. Another episode of the second tier. What are you, what are you trying to say, Justin? You, you, you mentioned you were moaning earlier about appearances. Now, you, you brought up Steve, Stephen Coldwell last week um, and he would have made div- appearances in the first division. No, so numbers-wise, numbers there's controversy. There could be a Middlesbrough Wickham-type claim from me here. Retrospective. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Coldwell made 220 championship appearances. First division appearances, he made 12. I'd have nine. got Stephen Coldwell. If, I'd, have made, I'd have got Stephen Coldwell if I'd have known that. If it was 229 second tier appearances. Absolutely, yeah, I'd have nailed that. Um, all right, all right. This is a disgrace, ladies and know. gentlemen. This is a disgrace. Another episode of the second tier wrapped up right here. We'll be back again on Sunday to give you all the reaction to the weekend's games and, of course, the latest news to anything that happens in the championship. So we look forward to seeing you again right then, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the second tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm